Welcome to EANCAST, your weekly source for education, research, and updates from the European Academy of Neurology. So, welcome again to our EANCAST uh, Weekly Neurology next episode. I don't need to introduce myself in, uh, in length, so you know I'm Thomas Berger, uh, head of the Department of Neurology here in Vienna, but mainly here as the chair of the Scientific Committee of the European Academy of Neurology and specifically, of course, as moderator of this podcast. And uh, we are now in a series of uh, various EAN activities, which we would like to introduce and also chat about. And one very important uh, strategy is the brain health strategy, which has been launched about one year ago by EAN. But we have to be honest, it's not an exclusive uh, strategy. There are several different interested parties and also, of course, people experts who have been driving brain health for uh, a couple of time already. And therefore, it's a big pleasure and I'm very happy to introduce today Harris Iyer. You are a, a physician, scientist, entrepreneur, executive service provider, author, think tank in your own about economics and financial aspects and especially also a neuroscience communicator. I hope I didn't forget anything. So you're a multi-talent and multifaceted, engaged in various activities. But as I learned from your brief biography, especially also your engagement as a fellow at the Rice University Baker's Institute for Public Policy and the Meadows uh, Mental Health Policy Institute, means that you are definitely one of those experts very strongly engaged in various aspects of brain health. I'm very happy to welcome you today. And uh, let's jump in already in our conversation. And I think the most important uh, question is now I have a little bit teased our auditorium about your activities. Could you please provide us some insights about your brain health activities and what you specifically mean by this uh, activities. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, uh, Professor Berger, for the introduction, and I'm delighted to be here with you. I'm very glad also to support the European Academy of Neurology. I, I've seen the uh, brain health strategy that the EAN has developed, and I'm, I think it's very impressive. I think it's just what the world needs, um, and I like to talk about it uh, really wherever I go to different clinical circles and policy circles. So again, thank you. So my work, uh, Professor Berger, focuses in two different domains that are synergistic. I'm interested in improving brain health at scale and doing it through public policy, through new ways of thinking about policy settings in health policy, social policy, digital policy, built environment. And then the second way is through private activities, through uh, startup activity, engaging industry, and then also uh, supporting more investment into clinical care in brain health and then also startups in brain health. And so I, I see that there are sort of, in my world, there are two levers for change to improve brain health, public policy and private. And if I can do both and find ways of harmonizing public and private, then 
uh, that's really what I'm looking for because I'm trying to create some catalytic change in the world. So how are you doing this catalytic change or supporting this? So I have those positions in uh, public policy that you mentioned with the Baker Institute for Public Policy at Rice University, and then also through the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute. Uh, and then also in the private sector side, I'm advising different startups and investment funds and, and private companies. Um, essentially, what I'm trying to do, Professor Berger, is to lead this field of brain capital, which is really synonymous with large-scale brain health. Uh, brain capital is a term that's engineered to mean something to very senior politicians, senior policymakers, and senior business people. Uh, and it is something that we've developed over the last few years. We published a seminal paper on this in molecular psychiatry and then have enjoyed advancing brain capital, which is brain health and brain skills as a construct. We've been advancing it into policy forums uh, with different parts of the United Nations, WHO, OECD. We launched uh, at the OECD a neuroscience-inspired policy initiative. Uh, and now we're building out a global brain capital dashboard, which is tracking the determinants of brain capital, brain health, and brain skills at a nation-state level. And then we're able to then look comparatively at the brain capital across countries. So these are... Uh, some of the ways that I'm uh, doing my work. And so I think in, in the future, what we're aiming at is to have this brain capital alliance, which is, which is where we work with all the different types of nonprofits and think tanks and universities working on data projects and policy ideas. And then we're also looking at ways of doing private sector activity in brain capital as well, like thinking about How do we get governments to invest more in brain capital? How do we get more venture capital in this field? Uh, and how do we get things like novel bond mechanisms from governments to, to invest in the brain capital of the citizens? And so in, in this way, you can see that we're trying to bridge the policy in the private sector again, but it's through the lens of brain capital. You know, uh, neurologists are a little bit anarchistic persons, so we always uh, stick uh, in deep into details of terminology. So uh, for, for me, as a kind of lay person in this uh, terminology, brain capital sounds a little bit like an economic situation. What do you mean by brain capital or what is the, 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 your meaning? It's not only regarded, I don't know, with effectiveness, efficacy, What do you mean by brain capital? That's a brilliant question, and I'm glad to clarify. Brain capital is certainly coming from the field of economics, and it has been developed initially by me, but now with dozens, if not hundreds of people from around the world, because we thought that we needed to try to address brain health through a different lens, right? In a way that helps all. And so we came at this through economics. Um, And why economics? Because, you know, I will say in simple terms, I'm not an economist, right? I came, I came to this really as a kind of entrepreneurial physician scientist. I, I went into economics because I could see that we could, we could get some lift for the field of brain health for neurologists and mental health people. Um, the economy is really, you know, how society operates and, and ticks, right? It's, it's the software system in many ways of, of humanity. And so what better... Uh, what better nexus or system for us to influence than, than the economy? And so 
really what we see at the global, if we think about global sort of pan-human brain activity, we see lots of challenges, right? We see things like rising rates of suicide in certain uh, demographics, rising rates of Alzheimer's disease. We see these disorders are costing trillions of dollars to the economy. Uh, overlay with these more clinical issues that we know about, there's concerns with social isolation, air pollution, ultra processed foods, which aren't good for the gut or the brain. And so these things are all leading to, we argue, reduced productivity of the economy, reduced social cohesion and reduced well-being and reduced productivity. And so this is a big issue. And so brain capital is really designed to be brain health and brain skills coming together as, an, as a nexus. Uh, brain health, we know brain skills are skills which are critical in the modern economy, like resilience, adaptability, creativity, which were all just noted in the recent World Economic Forum Future of Jobs report as being really critical. So we're trying to bring these things together with brain capital. And frankly, we're trying to say, hey, uh, politicians, when you think about the assets of your country, don't just think about assets like roads and bridges and forests and oceans, which are all really important, don't get us wrong, but let's think about the brain capital of your citizens, because if you don't think about the brain capital of the citizens, you're not having fine-tuned policy to that, right? And you're not, you're kind of missing it. And for too long, neurology and mental health, as we now call brain health, have, have been missing out in policy discussion. So what we're trying to do with brain capital is we're trying to say, look, this is a stock that your country has. It can go either up or down. We can measure it. You need to pay attention to it. And you really need to listen to groups like EAN and have more interest and fora and convenings to think about how to do this for your country. Because frankly, the final point I'll make and then I'll stop is that if we don't invest in the brain capital of a country or, or you know, big jurisdictions, provinces or states, then where are we where are we going right like it's it's a big problem if we, so we need to think about health policy innovation social policy digital policy you know what are we doing about social media which is having tremendously negative effects some good effects but some negative what you know so on and so forth thinking about this in all policies so hopefully that gives you a sense of the sort of genesis and the ethos of this work so you know uh, if we if we if I, i've tried to bring this in a nutshell my personal experiences, at least, being um, linked to the term of brain and brain capital is usually on the nation level used in the negative sense, you know, the brain drain. If we are losing uh, people who are going abroad for whatever reasons, then it's a brain drain. But it's not the positive view on this. And it's not only, as you, I think, alluded very well, it's not only a matter of conservation or preservation of the existing but it's the investment in the further development but also recognition as you said um, uh, i think we take a lot of these activities you mentioned and also uh, advantages for granted you know <laughs> of course we think about things uh, we develop about uh, new ideas we create new activities but this is taking for granted uh, not necessarily as an issue which needs to have a specific, let's say, support in a systematic way. And therefore, I understand very well what you mean. Well, look, I think, Professor Berger, you're, you're exactly right. Very, very 
perceptive again. What, what we're trying to do with brain capital is to flip the script. We're trying to go beyond thinking about negative sort of how depressed is the nation, how cognitively impaired are people, these sort of important points, but not any more inspiring politicians to invest more and to have action. We're trying to say, let's just transform this. Let's, let's think about hope and optimism with brain capital. You know, your country needs to have the arguably the most important thing for your country is the brain capital, because that is the underpinning of the country's, you know, creativity, which is important for new businesses and uh, new patents, which is critical in the global economy and in the, in the cognitive age and the, and the age of AI. You, we need to have people that are ready to, to, to use AI as a co-pilot for them. You know, we need to have people that are uh, frankly resistant to mis and, mis and disinformation. Because if, if people are susceptible to this stuff, we know with generative AI, it's just going to get worse with deep fakes and all these types of advanced bots. So brain capital, you know, is absolutely essential. And, and maybe one point, uh, which is a pithy line, Professor Berger, is they used to say that move over, you know, data is the new oil. Well, we say move over data because brain capital is the new oil. It's, it's, the, it's the most important asset of a nation state uh, and we so that that's you know that's why but you know we can only do this work if we work in collaboration so that's why working you know a group like EAN and what you've established across the whole continent of, of Europe and then with your branches out globally is critical that we collaborate on this stuff because we need to get these politicians aligned and thinking about this stuff and the important point is I think also because you mentioned also this uh, new oil of uh, brain capital, but it's also not only uh, in terms of, uh, let's say, economic uh, issues, it's also the evolution and the further development of our society, because this is mainly brain work and not only adaption to circumstances, let's say it this way. Yeah? So it sounds everything logical to you, to me, to probably also most of our uh, listeners, so, but what are what are the hurdles? What are the limitations to convert to, uh, let's say, even to uh, convict politicians or other, uh, let's say, policymakers to recognize this, which seems so easy to follow those arguments? Yes. So. I think, first of all, I'd say we have made good progress thanks to the wonderful collaborations that we have around the world. We've had pick up in different uh, international organizations and think tanks and policy outlets. And you can look at the, the Brain Capital Alliance website to, to read up on those if you're interested, anyone that's listening. I think it's critical that we need to advance the data part of this. So it's not just talking about abstract concepts. So we do have. Uh, led by the Euro-Mediterranean Economist Association, which is a think tank in Barcelona, Spain. We have a global brain capital dashboard, which I encourage folks to check out. It's, it's really sort of a beta version that's online. So we, uh, after any feedback, please contact us if you have feedback on how to improve it. But we're going to launch that formally in the next three to six months. I think that's essential because then we have real data to uh, reinforce these messages. Uh, I'm also now uh, moving, as we have made great progress with the with the country by country global dashboard, to start looking at national level dashboards. So, thinking about this in the United States, uh, which is where I live right now, 
But if anyone's interested in looking at this in their country, then I'm more than happy to discuss that and collaborate. So I think these data projects are critical. We're trying to now also uh, try to in get some legislation passed. We were very close in Texas to passing a piece of legislation, House Bill 15, which was for the construction of a mental and brain research institute of Texas with $3 billion of Texas state funding. We got into, we got past the house of the Texas legislature, but it failed in the Senate, but at least that's some kind of progress, right? Like if we can start to scale up research amounts, then that's brilliant. But, you know, Professor Berger, one of the things that I'm thinking about as well as I've, I'm in Europe now uh, speaking to you, I've been in Europe for the last probably month and here for another couple of weeks, I see these brain plans that you've established with, say, Norway and Germany that I'm aware of. I'd love to see in with these countries, let's just take Norway, how do we applaud the Norwegian government for this? Uh, but then also think about how do we get the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Norway to support this work? How do we maybe get them to complement the policy work that's happening with a little bit, maybe some uh, private sector stimulation, maybe some venture capital funds and make Norway like a, a center of excellence, like a living lab for getting, you know, the best, most evidence-based companies coming in. So I think that's another area that would be interesting to explore. And then I'll finish by saying that we need to do some more high-level policy activities uh, with brain capital. So we're in the process of launching with the Center for European Policy Studies, which is based in Brussels, a European brain capital task force, which will involve transdisciplinary uh, task force, people from obviously neurology, psychiatry, neuroscience, but then banking, finance, economics, architecture, environmental uh, engineering, things like this, and really uh, propose to, you know, let's say we have a series of meetings, what we're planning on, propose to the Belgian uh, European Commission presidency in the first half of next year, what could be a brain deal for Europe? You know, not, a, not we know the new deal, the green deal, but what's a brain deal look like? A comprehensive suite of of policy ideas that could be taken into the European Parliament. So this is kind of what we're thinking about at this stage. And uh, I think it's very exciting, you know, months and years ahead of us. You know, um, I think uh, this is really exciting what you're talking about. And I think every neurologist or even also a psychiatrist who is listening to us uh, will completely underline whatever we were talking about, because this is our main interest and apart from our professional interest it's also our individual interest because we want to use and we have to use and we do use our brain and our mental power for whatever we are achieving and trying to achieve so this brings me of course also to a very trivial recognition or 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 saying because of course uh, you can use the brain capital only in a healthy brain so uh, it also converges, of course, with the brain health strategy of the European Academy of Neurology, probably also from the WFN, to really also clarify that only a healthy brain really takes care of health in general and therefore also then links and contributes to brain uh, capital, as you mentioned and described uh, um, just some minutes ago. And the important thing, and I think this probably links even more to brain capital, is that our 
EIN, brain health strategy, does not mean brain health is only the absence of a neurological disorder or only the identification of a risk factor for a neurological disorder. It is taking care, train your brain, use your brain uh, in a healthy situation. And this is something which brings us, of course, also that this is not a matter of certain ages or life cycle phases. It's a matter of our whole lifespan. And uh, how does the brain capital use, which also means education, environment, whatever, how do you see this brain uh, health span over the lifespan of an individual? Yes. Well, let me answer in a couple of ways, Professor. First of all, I personally live with migraine with visual aura. So I wrote for the EFNA, the European Federation of Neurological Associations, a, a blog over the Christmas holidays about how I think my migraines are a superpower um, because they have, you know, yeah, admittedly, they've been quite despairing when I was a teenager, when I, I still don't know the triggers. And when I was younger and I didn't have any medicines, getting the visual aura and then the nausea and vomiting and feeling washed out for a day, that that was really sort of problematic. But I, I now have a medication, a, a CGRP uh, medication that, that works really well. I still get the visual aura, but none of the headaches or the nausea and vomiting. But I have realized that for me, you know, I live with this, right? So, so it's it's not a severe neurological conditions. It's it's much more. It's on the mild end of things. But I realize that it's helped me to have more empathy and compassion for people with illnesses that can't be explained by modern neuroscience because it still can't can't explain exactly what causes mine and what's going on in my brain. And then it, it also has made me very creative because I I don't like to necessarily grind, grind, grind at work. I like to establish teams and I like to have creative insights. Um, so for me, every day I go for a walk in the forest a couple of times or in the park and try to, to connect dots, do something very quickly so that I can jump forward in my thinking because it's that way I you know, kind of get less migraines because I'm not sort of grinding and sitting at a desk for so long. So anyway, these kinds of uh, things have, have been very beneficial to me and is the reason ultimately my migraines are the reason why I'm talking to you today, because I have this burning passion and purpose for this stuff. So that's my first point about, you know, yes, brain health is not just the absence of things, but it's people successfully living and doing their best to live a good life in the presence of a condition. Um, but then to your point about the lifespan, yes, we have, I mean, it's critical, right, to think about from, from maternity when we have a fetus, and I think about this because my wife is pregnant with our first child right now. Uh, but, but then all the way through early childhood, youth, adulthood and, and later life. So this brain health span concept that you mentioned is is a term that um, was coined by a colleague, uh, Ed Byrne, who's now the, the group chief medical officer of Ramsey Healthcare. He was the head of the King's College London, actually a neurologist, coined this term. And we're, we're soon to, to write a short article about it that it's sort of the mixture of health span and, and lifespan. We know what lifespan is. We know the health span is how many, you know, trying to optimize the years of life you live healthy, but brain health span, right? I haven't heard anyone talk about the brain health span. So if we do things starting really early, how can we optimize our brain health span? So ideally we can live to right until the end of our lifespan with, with good, cognitive and mental function so that we can be 
present and engaged as family members, friends, and, you know, contributors to the community around us, uh, either with work or, or pro bono sort of community work. So, yeah, I think we, but it, it all obviously requires starting from the start. And, and so it does involve things like education. It involves, you know, built environment. How do we get more green space? How do we get less air pollution that we're all exposed to? Uh, things like this are really critical. It's it sort of goes beyond also just health policy, which is critical, having enough neurologists and psychiatrists. But it's looking at digital policy, built environment policy, really across the spectrum of society to to help to drive the brain health span to be longer and, and better. But could it be because you said it influences or also is influenced by multi dimensions or nearly everything? Uh, what we are tackling every day or during our lives. So could it be that one of the, the difficulties is the complexity? Yes, absolutely. I think we could paralyze ourselves, right, with, uh, with, with this stuff. So I think you're right. We, we, so we need sort of like a blueprint that, that is very comprehensive, but then we need to be pragmatic at the policy level. So this idea of being a policy entrepreneur where you use your charm and charisma and your data to sort of get things happening, we probably need to just pinpoint some really narrow things and nail them sort of a uh, land and then you can expand. But if we go with this whole reimagining the whole country of whatever, then the, the bureaucrats are going to say, no, we can't, we're not going to. So, so you're right. You're very right that we need to be pragmatic and we need to be precise. We need to be broad when we can be, but then nail precise things like let's let's reduce air pollution by 50%. Um, but then also at the individual level, I also agree with you that uh, you can't go to citizens and say or patients and say, hey, you've got to do these 20 things. Uh, you know, don't 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 suck in air pollution. You know, eat eat Mediterranean. Blah 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 blah. It's just impossible for them to integrate all that. So again, you do have to start simple and just support them and and offer them things, but and let them just do things at their own pace. Uh, yeah. So good point. Simplicity is important. I think it's uh, to be flat and lean, right? In some at least uh, dropping messages and also facilitating pathways, because um, I think it we all are, and this is also a matter of our brain we are very strongly incentive-oriented. So what is the gain? And I think the gain has to be clear. And, uh, of course, the theoretical uh, gain is always clear because if we can use our brain in a very broad way for very important individual, family, societal, whatever reasons, then the gain is clear. But I think, it, as you said, we need to be very pragmatic on this point. And with that, I would also like to ask you, because... I guess that the majority of our auditorium are neurologists. How can neurologists as uh, professionals, specifically in, in, the, in their profession of, as neurologists, how can they engage in those brain health related policy activities? You know, they are taking care of their patients. They are probably determining risk factors. They are monitoring disease. But how can they engage as neurologists in these activities? Yes, I think suffice to say that neurologists are, are arguably the most important stakeholder in, in achieving change at scale, right? It needs to start with empowering and mobilized and, and energized neurologists. So, so I think an easy one would be to say that 
the neurologists need to need to join this brain health mission that EAN has established so that they can, you know, stay engaged in this network. They can continue to learn about what's happening and get educated about how to be a better policy entrepreneur or agitator. But then I think it's simple things for neurologists beyond just staying engaged and, and stuff and such is, you know, how can they commit to advisory boards? How can they, you know, write op-eds in newspapers or in, in, in you know, local uh, outlets, journals, things like this that are even just community-based stuff, doesn't need to be the Le Monde or something like this, but you know, even your local newspaper is really critical to get the message out. How can you maybe collect some data to support uh, policy messages? And then I think that we, we probably also need to, Professor Berger, think about some kind of, uh, let's call it brain health policy, entrepreneurship, like education program. How do we, and maybe it's just a bite-sized thing, but, but that sort of stuff is critical for, for slowly supporting neurologists that are very busy, how they learn bits of policy entrepreneurship so that they can, again, use their charm, charisma, and data to you know, tackle things at, at the city level or the state level or the country level or the European level, I think. And that it's up to them as to where they want to fit into that. So, so I think there's a lot of work that we can do to inspire neurologists and give them the, the, the sort of basic skills and stuff that they need to, to be more effective advocates. Dr. Iyer, I'm afraid we're coming slowly, but definitely to an end of our, uh, of our chat. It was so interesting, and I guess, uh, and hopefully the EAN e-learning uh, committee and group will give us a chance to follow up on our conversation one day, also to see what might be the progresses in the meanwhile. And uh, I also would like to congratulate you and thank you for your activities, uh, what we heard, at least in some, uh, as a flavor of what you're doing, because I can imagine that this is a huge effort. It's also very strongly driven by a kind of conviction and mission even. And um, so thank you very much for this uh, chat and the insights in your work. I hope we can follow up and uh, report about some progress about the converges of uh, brain health, brain capital over the lifespan and the brain health uh, span and to really see also local, not only continental or organizational progress. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, also, I would like to thank the auditorium for listening to us and stay on air for the next EAN uh, Cast Weekly Neurology uh, series, which will follow the next day. Thank you very much and uh, see you and hear you soon. Thank you very much, Professor Berger, and to all the EAN staff. This has been EAN Cast Weekly Neurology. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcatcher for weekly updates from the European Academy of Neurology. You can also listen to this and all of our previous episodes on the EAN campus to gain points and become an EAN expert in any of our 29 neurological specialties. Simply become an EAN individual member to gain access. For more information, visit ean.org membership. That's ean.org backslash membership. Thanks for listening.
ENCAST Weekly Neurology is your unbiased and independent source for educational and research-related neurological content. Although all content is provided by experts in their field, it should not be considered official medical advice.